Hello, this is Leslie Grunford-Tenzer, and this is Law to Fact. Today I'm speaking with Professor Christine Coughlin about getting ready for that open memo writing assignment. In this episode, I speak with Professor Christine Coughlin, a professor of legal writing at Wake Forest University School of Law. We talk about the anxiety that students feel after they get back their closed memo. And as she makes clear, and I second, the grade you get on that first memo has very little to do with the grade you get on your second memo. It's a learning experience if you don't like how you did first time around. That first memo is the first grade you're going to get in law school. And sometimes it's wonderful, and sometimes it's not what you expected. But it's never a reflection of your intelligence. It's just a reflection of figuring out exactly what the game is. So in this discussion, we talk about that game. And she gives some expert tips for writing the final memo and also how to talk to your legal writing professor if you want to make sure that you can make changes. And even if you did well on that memo, congratulations to you. Make sure you figure out what it is that you did well. Because don't forget, some others will learn from their mistakes and they'll be coming up there too. Once again, it's time for my plea. If you could rate us or subscribe to us on any of the platforms on which you listen to us or like us on social media platforms, I would really appreciate this. What keeps me going is knowing that I'm helping law students learn the law. And the more feedback I get, the more inspired I am. And as always, you can contact us. You can reach us at gmail at lawtofact.gmail.com or you can tweet us at lawtofact. And all of our episodes are available at all times at www.lawtofact.com. So even if you're not taking constitutional law now, know that this episode, like every other one, will be available when the right time comes. If you're listening to Law to Fact, chances are at some point you'll be taking the bar exam. Well, getting ready for the bar exam means you'll need to choose the study program that's right for you. Kaplan Bar Review will get you ready to take on test day with confidence by offering $100 off live and on-demand bar review with offer code LESLIE100. Visit www.kaplanbarreview.com today to sign up. And here's my discussion with Professor Coughlin. Thanks for joining me. Um, this is a really important time, especially for 1Ls, because it's about this time of year where they're getting their first memo back, they're the closed memo, they're about to write the open memo. And I thought it would be really helpful if you could speak to these 1Ls about the process, and not just the writing process, but the confidence process too. Sure. Um, and, and I think this is such an important topic because right around six weeks or so in law school is where we see most students losing their confidence and starting to lose that passion of understanding why they came to law school. One of the things that, you know, sometimes does that is the fact that this is when they're starting to get their first grade in law school. And most students are used to being at the top of the class and they may get a grade that isn't consistent with their past history. Mm -hmm. And so trying to understand, learn from that and um, also grow from that experience I think is something that you have to intentionally do. Yeah, I mean that's that's interesting, and that's something students don't understand. And I always think it's it's so unfortunate that you don't get into law school unless you're at the top of the class, and then you're in law school, and all these things that you thought were right aren't necessarily right. So about you know, I guess I should say all the perceptions you had one had about themselves and their grades. 
they get a little derailed. And it's not, doesn't mean you're not, I like to say it doesn't mean you're not smart. I like to say it means you haven't figured out the game yet. I love that description because uh, I think it takes some students longer than others, but everyone's going to get it, right? right. And, and one of the things I disclose to students is, okay, I was a writer my whole life. I love writing. I loved writing in college. I thought I had this down. And I got my first grade back, and it was really low. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of those. I yeah, <laughs> and it made me realize that I needed to be thinking more about my audience and what I was doing and trying to open up to critique uh, that I might not have been used to. And so um, I hope by disclosing that to the students, they understand that everyone, even their professors, know what it's like to be in their shoes. Yeah. All right. So if you're right, so let's talk about that. All right. So you get back that first memo, you think you did a fabulous job and you didn't do a fabulous job in the professor's eyes. What would you recommend students do to evaluate themselves, reassess? Well, one thing is take a deep breath. Most law schools and most legal writing programs, um, if they grade the first time that you submit a paper, it's a very low percentage of your overall grade. Right. So the first thing I would do is just look at it in perspective of that. Secondly, um, I would recommend that you take 24 hours. Don't go charging into the law professor's office um, and think about it. Then send an email or make an appointment, go in office hours and sit down and talk and try to figure out where you may have gone wrong. So it's funny because I always have a 24-hour rule too, but the student who comes in and says, what did I do wrong, doesn't necessarily elicit the most helpful advice as the student who asks particular questions. I mean, would you agree with that? I do. And I actually even caught myself saying, you know, what did they do wrong? And many times it's nothing. There is nothing wrong. It is just one, you may be uh, grading on more of a curve than they're used to. Mm -hmm. Um, And two, it's a completely different genre. One thing that I like to um, analogize it to is if I were asked to write a paper about physics, um, I really appreciate uh, physics. I think it's a fascinating subject. But if I were to go in there and write, and even if I had done my best job, it's a whole new vocabulary. It's a whole new uh, genre of writing. Mm-hmm. And I might not be able to give the professor, you know, the A-plus paper. Right. If a student comes to you, what are the kind of questions you would hope students would ask in order to facilitate a meaningful discussion that can change their grade? So um, what I would like or what I'd really appreciate is when students will come and talk about how can they um, do a question presented in a more effective manner. I don't like to talk about writing as good or bad. I like to say it's effective or ineffective because many different types of writing can be effective. Um, So I always caution students, first of all, not to necessarily look at somebody else's paper and say, well, well, we almost have the same exact question presented. Um, it, it's looking at the paper as a whole and trying to see how can you uh, communicate your analysis in a more effective manner. And there's lots of tips and techniques for them to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Professor Margolis went over some of the common pitfalls in her wonderful podcast. She went over those. Um, you know, uh, at, at this point, uh, some of the things I see uh, is, and, and Professor Margolis talked about this a little bit, but still using having a case-based approach and doing more of a book report than a legal analysis that uses either analogical reasoning or rule-based reasoning and intentionally um, analyzes each element. All right. So, so, so it sounds to me like what you're saying, which makes total sense, is look at the question presented, look at the analysis, look at the fact section, look at them separately and identify what could be different in each of those rather than this kind of global, how do I do better? Right. Look at each part uh, individually and then look at it collectively. You know, so how does each part work with the other part? Oh, yeah. Good point. Yep. One of the things that I see particularly at this time is that um, students want to draft the memo in a way that they believe will please the professor. And I understand I did this too. But sometimes they don't actually believe in their own analysis. And that, actually, that does come through when you're reading it. So if you don't necessarily believe that this works or the student doesn't have a lot of confidence in his or her own analysis, the writing tends to be less confident, a little bit weaker, longer sentences. So what I do is I ask them, let's go back and look at those cases again. Let's go back and read the cases from the get-go and then look at our client's facts and see how they can all fit together. That's interesting. And, and, and that raises an issue that I always think about, which is, and I, I do this in my own writing, I think we tend to not count the time when we're just thinking. Yes. That like if, we're, if, if I'm not writing, I'm not working. But I think like going for a walk, going for a run, just sitting in your, on your couch, thinking about your argument um, helps you believe in your argument. Right. Um, exactly. You know, what they say is clear thinking will lead to clear writing. Oh, I love that. You really need to have that time where you're just thinking through the analysis and making sure it actually makes sense to you. So helpful. All right. So you are, you teach legal analysis and writing. What, what do they call it at um, Wake Forest? What do they call it? We teach it, uh, we, excuse me, we call it legal analysis, writing and research or, okay. or the acronym lawyer. Oh, oh, that's very clever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you started out by saying this is your first grade. It's a small grade. Sometimes one gets defeated. It's only a small part of your, um, your grade. How often do you see students do poorly on their first paper and totally excel on their second? Many times. I mean, and many, many examples every single year. And I've been doing this for 20 years. Wow. In fact, I also tell my students about one of my favorite all-time students who actually at the first, after first semester did not do as well as he would have liked and was at the bottom part of the class and ended up graduating with honors. Wow. So, yeah. you know, it is all about that perseverance, getting out of that whole, you know, the pit and saying, okay, I can learn this and you will. And I think, you know, it's, I think that, that you just hit the nail on the head. I can learn this. Again, as we said, it's a game, it's a skill set, and you have to be open to learning. I think that's a really good point. You have to be open to learning it. How important do you think mastering legal analysis and writing is for purposes of exam taking? I think it's really important, but what, and, and I may have a different, a bit of a different view on this than some of my other colleagues in the legal writing field. 
I believe that it's um, utmost important for them to understand these templates that we call IRAC, CREAC, CREXAC, but these are all based on principles of narrative and logic. So I think they have to master those so that they can come up with a legal analysis that makes sense and is, you know, logical. But then after knowing that that will make an effective organization, going one step further and having the confidence to say, okay, based on these principles, I can even have a more effective organization and trying to get that in a rote way for exams. Got it. That makes sense. All right. So let's get to kind of some technical questions that may be a little hard, but I'll ask you anyway. So the, um, the, we call it a major memo. The open book memo is about mm-hmm. to come out in a couple of weeks. Students now have to do it. And the first thing they have to do is research. And the question I hear the most is, well, how do I know when I'm done researching? Uh, that's a great question. And I think all of us who write, uh, regardless of whether we are a first-year student or a law professor, have that question. Um, my general rule of thumb is if you're starting to see the same sources over and over again, then you're done for now. But I do believe that um, research is a recursive process. So it's not like I'm done with research and now all I'm going to do is write. Sometimes as you're writing, you'll see that there is another uh, sub-issue that you need research further. So it's all about researching and writing together as, you know, a component. But let's say, okay, so you research a little, then you write, then you say, I need to fill in the blank here. I better go back and research a little bit more where my argument may be changing. Right. Based on your, re- I mean, try to get all the research done. And I um, talk to the students about getting as much research done as you can before you start to write, because we do need time for that important thinking process that you and I talked about earlier. But I don't want them, uh, students, to ever think that it is, I research, and then I stop. Then I write, and I stop. No, it's all part of the same process. Okay, got it. All right, so now I've got my research. I'm not ready to stop, but I've got my research. What do I do next? Well, I think the next thing you need to do is just to organize your materials. Um, and I can't uh, state it enough how important that component is. Uh, doing either case charting. Um, what do you mean by case charting? So taking the cases and dissecting them a little bit like the students do with a brief in their uh, doctrinal classes. But if you know the issue that, I mean, they'll know the issue that they're researching, and if you break whatever the governing rule is down into its component pieces, then taking a big chart and all the sources that they find, seeing how different parts of the source relate to the different pieces of the governing rule, if at all, will allow the students to see, you know, where their case might fit within the tapestry of the law might let them see different trends going on in the law. Um, Very important. No, that's interesting. All right, so they're going to chart their cases. And then after charting their cases, um, what I recommend is doing a really broad outline. And what I mean by that is just putting down basically, you know, the three or four different sub-issues that you're going to write about um, and then points underneath it just to kind of get the thinking flowing. Got it. Following that, a lot of people recommend a downdraft, um, especially if you I'm are... Sorry, first, that they, a lot of people recommend what? It's called a downdraft or a zero draft. Okay, I never heard that term either. So what's that? So um, this is one way just to kind of 
break the writer's block. After you have your broad outline that gives you a sense of where you may be going, you just sit down and write without regard to, you know, form. You just put in the cases and then you have something on your paper. Okay. Right. And so then you don't have this experience of sitting at your computer and thinking, oh, gosh, my tub is really dirty. I've got to go (laughs) clean that out right now. Um, That's not what I would be thinking, by the way. I'd be thinking, where's the nearest ice cream place? But anyway. Yeah, well, or or the nearest (laughs) coffee shop. Yes, I I get that. Um, So after that, then you can take and you can reverse outline based on what you have in your downdraft. And that reverse outline can become a more detailed outline that the students can then fill in and will get you to the point of close to a first draft, at least on the discussion or the analysis section. All right. So, so because these are terms I've never heard before. So you're going to kind of do just like a writer's, like you're just going to do a free write. Is that what yeah. you mean? Just a, a free write. A lot of people right. call it free writes, right? right. And, and actually, you know what I do? And this is just, I talk into a mirror yes. and I record it. Anyway, that's what I do. Anyway, all right. So you do a free write. And then after you do a free write, you do a reverse outline. What's a reverse outline? So it's just taking what you did. You, you have your broad outline and then you have, you know, what you might have written down. And then you take from that and you see, okay, what points did I make? And you extract those and okay. then you can reorganize those okay. and write it more precisely. That is a great idea. That's great. So, okay, so you research and then you're done researching and you're going to do kind of a broad outline of this is where I think I'm going. Um, And then you'll maybe need to do a little more research from that. And then you're going to, once you do that, you're going to sit down and just do a downdraft. You're just going to put it all out there. And then when you read that, certain points are going to crystallize, not necessarily in the right order, but you will have made those points. And then you need to say, in what order do I need to make those points to make the most sense? Exactly. Exactly. That's a great recipe. And I do want to um, emphasize that this might not work for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. And students need to find what works for them. Right. Um, We talked a little bit before about source charts. Some students um, prefer mind mapping or some other way of organizing your materials, you know, whatever they choose to use, it just needs to be something that works for them and their background the way they think. Right, right. I, I agree. I mean, everyone, like, I'm a visual learner, some people, which is ironic. I just realized here I am a visual learner and I'm doing an audio podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> I never even thought about that. Um, but, yeah, everyone learns differently. The one thing, and Professor Margot has said this, and I know we agree, you cannot do this overnight. you got to plan But that leads me to my next question, because I find that students spend too much time on the memo because it's in their hands. Right. And it, in days time, they'd be studying for finals or or preparing for class or what have you. Right, right. And, And we understand, you know, part of it is this idea of gratification, right? You have a memo, it seems all consuming, but you're going to get a grade on it soon. Right. So you want to spend as much time on that. I think it's really important for students to engage in time management, um, to understand techniques for writing effectively and efficiently. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when they're in practice, you know, they have more than one thing going on at a time. Um, But saying that, I think that, you know, all of these techniques that you and I have been discussing are techniques to get a quality product, product done more effectively. 
Uh, one thing that uh, I did want to follow up on, on your conversation with Professor Margolis, is uh, this idea that it takes a long time. And I tell the students to, for time management perf- purposes, it's going to be one half, one third to one half of the time is going to be your first draft. Mm-hmm. The rest of it's going to be revising, editing, and polishing it. Um, so, you know, again, that is something kind of surprising to students during the first semester. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You need time to polish. And, you know, it's funny, I I actually alluded to this on a criminal law podcast, but it's just a quick story. But when I went, I'm I'm not proud. I was not good at balancing to my checkbook. And so when I went to the University of Florida, I guess I must have bounced a check for like $10 to Record World and I didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. And I'd gone to the University of Florida for undergraduate school. Well, two years later, here I am writing my, 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 um, this is a true story. Two years later, I'm writing my memo. And the night before it's due, I get a call from the Alachua County Police Department that I'm under the arrest for bouncing <laughs> a thing. <laughs> I made good on the check, not to worry. Of course. But the point is, I lost all that time. If I had waited till the last minute, right. I would have not gotten my paper done. And thank God my paper was done because I got it in. I paid my fine. I never bounced a check again. And all is right with the world. <laughs> I am so glad to hear that. Uh, no, I, I agree. And the other thing that I try to tell my students is to have your internal due date like two or three days before the professor's due date. The reason being is that we cannot catch our own mistakes on writing. Mm-hmm. And if you are able to put down the paper for a day or two, you can more easily see any grammatical or you know errors or missing words or potentially weaknesses in your analyses. And that's really important. And, and you know why else that's important? Typos matter. Not it, it, As a law professor, and I should ask you if you would agree with this, when someone has a typo, not only do they have a typo and like, you know, you should know that there is T-H-E-I-R, not T-H-I-E-R, whatever, right. but it's saying I'm not careful. And when you represent a client, the most important thing you have to do is be careful. You know, words matter when you're writing a contract. If you're litigating, you want to be precise. If you have document production, you need to be precise. And so there's two problems. There's the sloppiness and there's the bad lawyering. And so as professors, we can't in good conscience forgive those mistakes because it comes at the consequence of not communicating to the student, like this really matters. Right, right. Um, I think that's a very important point. Um, one of my favorite all-time law professors, um, wonderful, wonderful man who just was inspiring to me, he would tell uh, the class that our clients pay us to be precise and wow. that we need to be precise with everything we do. Hmm. Um, and, and you're absolutely right that typos are hard to find when they're your own, um, but they are important because you lose credibility if you turn in a document that is full of typos. Right. And that's why, you know, giving yourself those three days and then you can sit down, walk away from it and go back to it is really important. Right. Right. Uh, wow. Well, this has been really, really helpful. Anything else that you want to share with the students? No, uh, well, there, there is one more thing. Um, one of the things, one of the uh, primary kind of growth areas I think I see for students at this point is that they don't understand different types of analyses that we do, um, that when you are doing this open research memo, 
you need to incorporate both analogical and rule-based reasoning to the extent that it's relevant. Um, and with analogical reasoning, students are always worried about doing like the fact-to-fact comparison. And that's really important, but it's also important, and I would say maybe more important, especially as you're preparing for exam, to do a rationale to fact comparison, to understand what facts in the prior case led the court to make the decision it did, and then to use that rationale and see if it may be apparent in this present case. No, I, I actually, I think that's one of the most important things is to you to see the reasons why the court ruled the way it did and to the reasons applied to our case. I think that's important in writing a memo and also on exams. I mean, that's kind of what we test. It is right. So. Wow, right. wonderful. Well, this has been really helpful. Anyway, this has been really wonderful, and you lay out a great strategy for actually drafting that final memo. And what I like most is this idea that students need to really embrace, which is how you're doing your first memo is in no way indicative of how you're doing your second memo if you're willing to take a hard look at yourself and see what you can do differently. Right, right. Well, you said that quite well. I really appreciate it. And I just wanted to thank you for the honor of appearing. Um, I really have enjoyed all the podcasts. I've learned a lot. And I know all the students out there are learning a lot as well. So thank you. Well, thank you. So there you go. My discussion with Professor Coughlin. Hope you enjoyed it. And feel free if you need some last minute legal writing tips or just a boost of confidence to reach us at lawdefact.gmail.com or tweet us. We're there for you. Once again, a reminder that Kaplan Bar Review is offering you $100 off their live and on-demand bar review program. Just use Leslie 100 as your code when you sign on at www.kaplanbarreview.com. Okay, hope you enjoyed this one. We'll see you next week on Law to Fact.